I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Listen to Scoopy Radio with Brendan Robinson. Scoopy Radio. Overtime. Uh, here on Heavy on Live with Scoop B, uh, we are broadcasting on every platform uh, on Facebook, heavy on, heavy on Lakers, heavy on Celtics, heavy on Bulls, as well as on Periscope via my Twitter at Scoop B, as well as on YouTube. Uh, welcome everybody uh, who is in the building. And um, it's always a special treat uh, when you've got Orange, New Jersey's finest in the building. Uh, you have played for every team imaginable, and I'm not going to name every team because you're just that dude. But we got Al Harrington on the line, heavy live with Scoopy. Al, what's going on? This is Scoopy. What's good, my G? Trying to make it happen. You, uh, I, you, you look rested, but I know that that is not an indication of how well uh, you pulled off the celebration for G Herbo last night. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, good morning in L.A. Yeah, thank you. Good morning, brother. How was the event yesterday? So obviously, you know, I wasn't there, but I was able to get representation from the fight. Okay. So uh, uh, my man Najee went. Said it was amazing. Unbelievable job. They had a spot over in Island City. Mm-hmm. City. Um, big shout out to G Herbo, man. Like, you know, obviously, I've known him for a while. You know, um, he put on a lot of like, neighborhood. So a guy like him making it to 25 years where he from where like they go to make like 16, 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the way stuff like that, you know, on the rise. So I was just happy that he allowed us to be a part of his, his birthday. You know, I hope he have 25 times two times three years left. <laughs> Now that's real. Um, and for those who are talking to the party, you see it in his hat. You saw J.R. Smith of the Los Angeles Lakers wearing a T-shirt in the bubble. Viola. Uh, it was founded in 2011 uh, by Al Harrington. Uh, Viola Extracts um, is literally um, the ability uh, for um, people um, to have licensed wholesalers of premium quality cannabis products. Um, the brand is named after and inspired by Al's grandmother, uh, who suffers from glaucoma and diabetes. Um, so basically, you retire from the NBA, you create Viola extracts, 
And when I first heard this, I was thinking about scenes from Friday. <laughs> like every scene from Friday imaginable, I was thinking about. When you first told your friends and your NBA colleagues that this is what you were going to do, what was the reception? The first thing they was like, you? They was like, nigga that talk bad about everybody that smoke weed all the time? Like, <laughs> smoke? They like, how? You? So everybody ain't believe it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I think that even when I first started, when I would bring weed, they thought my weed was trash. Because they like, this thing ain't doesn't smoke no weed. How you know what weed? <laughs> Scoop B Radio. So I had to prove to I had to prove to a lot of the homies that I actually knew what good weed was and what it smoked like and how it's supposed to make you feel. But um, you know, obviously, you know, once guys really got a you know understanding of like that I was serious about it. You know, a lot of my homeboys wanted to invest. You know, okay. time, bro, to be honest, um, since I didn't really know what I was doing, I didn't let none of them invest. I actually just took the risk with all my own money. You know what I'm saying? Just because I value friendships. You know what I'm right. saying? Money could burn a lot of bridges. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't want to do that amongst my homies, you know, by losing their bread. And now they look like way. So I took the chance on my own money to start. You know, I put up about $2 million of my own money. And I out and I had some losses within that money too. But by the time I got to, you know, two years down the road, I felt like I knew exactly what I was doing. And then that's when I started to open myself up to investors. Yeah, they say usually starting your own business, um, the first five years is the most critical. You right. played the NBA, so you had the capital. I feel like that was that was that was poppy up the hill money that she was able to invest and do what she needed to do. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, like, okay. Um, I'm not we educated, but I know enough to get by. So when you are, I guess, creating an industry, like people know the, the terms like sour diesel, purple haze, and stuff like that. And I'm sure there are more scientific terms. I, I I hated biology and chemistry, but like how much education did you have to get outside of what you just know? Bro, a lot. Al Harrington. Al, can you hear us? You blacked out for a second. Yeah. You know, to be honest, um, you know, my financial advisor told me I was going to go to jail. Um, my mom was totally against the same thing. She's like, you're going to risk everything you created, your reputation and everything to, like, sell weed. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was tough, like, to find support in the beginning. You know what right. I mean? You know, I got all, to be honest, I got all my game from, you know, just homies that I knew from the from the neighborhood, you know what I'm saying, in regards to what it took to, you know, create a good product of cannabis, right? And what they were all consistent. Every single person told me, if you have good weed, if you have quality product, it'll sell itself. You ain't gotta you ain't gotta market it. You ain't gotta do nothing. The middle spread word of mouth. And you know, for me, like that has been like the foundation of like my company, right? Is in regards to like I just try to make super high quality products. Um, you know, obviously with my grandmother's name on it and her legacy, you know what I'm saying? I kind of, you know, what I tell my company is like, you know, we won't put nothing on shelves that we wouldn't give to Grandma Viola. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? I know how much I love my grandmother. And, uh, you know, I would only put the best and only allow her to use the best products that I could have. So, okay. So this is my next question. <clears throat> so your grandmother is still living, correct? Yeah. Okay. Just one check. So I, my grandmother, she passed away in the spring. She, yeah. Just she had old age, but at the same time had been dealing with a lot of health issues. And I used to joke with her 
Like when she was like, man, I'm paying all this money for medicine. I'm like, yo, you want me to go across the street? $20, right? That's your copay. She like, man, get out my face. So like for your grandmother to get her to roll up and partake, is it like kind of like weird, funny, but also like at the same time, they say, say no to drugs, but then you realize healing. Like what was it like the first time? Bro, man, for real, like, uh, I think it was God at work, man. Seriously, grew <laughs> up in church, man. And my grandmother, you know, my grandfather died when she was young, like something early thirties. And you know, for the most part, like not for the most part, never dated again. Like married the Lord, you know what I'm saying? So right. Background, like you know, she she cooked the communion bread. Uh, she collected all the collection money. You right. know, I need a place to stay, like you stay at her house. So like my grandmother was one of the most religious people ever. And when I first told her about it, of course, she called it reefer. She's like, boy, get out of my face. Like, boy, get out of my face. I ain't smoking no reefer. And next day, just so happened to be in pain. And right. I'm like, look, you here. This illegal state. You know, doctor recommended. Why don't you try it? And I didn't know. Like, now I'm just giving her some information that I've just read over time. Just in, you know what I mean? And, you know, like, you know, I'm in so much pain today. I'll try anything. So go to the dispensary. Bring her back Vietnam cushion. We vaporized it for, had her smoke it. And I went and checked on her an hour and a half later, and she was downstairs crying, reading her Bible. And so it was the first time <laughs> Bible in over three years, bro. So when you see, wow. like, you know, obviously it changed the way I looked at cannabis forever. But, you know, like you said, for her, you know, for her to be open minded, she was born in 1931, you know, got outlawed and banned and all that in the 30s, right? Mm -hmm. Grew up with the whole time thinking that cannabis was worse than crack cocaine and all these things. And for someone as religious as her to be open to giving it a try, yeah. that was power, bro. That wasn't me. I'm not that convinced. If I was that convinced, my company worth multiple billion dollars. If I was that good, you know what I'm saying? So right. But like that was God working and, you know, opening my eyes up to an opportunity and another way for her to, you know, medicate herself, you know, in a better way, in better quality of life. So Biggie Small said never get high off your own supply. You broke that 10 crack commandment. That was crack, bro. That's the difference. <laughs> That's true. That is true. When so when you played in the NBA, you said you you said that you grew up in a religious family. And like, was it after playing in the NBA that you tried it more? I mean, everybody's tried it, but I'm saying, was it more religious after you played, or was it like sporadic when you played? No, no, no. I, I the first time I ever tried it was uh we were in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I was with Golden State, so I think it was two, uh, 2009. Okay. You know, we was uh, we were sitting watching the um, Clippers play against the Nuggets. Mm -hmm. Clippers to beat the Nuggets that night, so they, we won against Phoenix the next day that we got the AC instead of the Nuggets. Okay. Sitting there, we're watching the game at the bar, Scoop and B obviously Radio. the Clippers do what they do when they do. But we lost the game, so now we know our season is officially over. Uh-huh. I got frustrated because the year before that, we had the we believe we got hot towards the end of that year. We just thinking like we right there, we ready to go. And uh, everybody's frustrated. So, you know, Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes and Beatty, you know, they smoke. So mm -hmm. start smoking. So I'm having my little drink. And they like, oh, man, F that tonight. You, you, you smoking with us, bro. You smoking something, though. You smoking. So that was the first time I smoked. And uh, I don't know what they gave me, but that shit had me so high. <laughs> Paranoid. <laughs> I was, I'm never smoking again. Literally, right? 
uh, and I didn't smoke again for a couple years until, you know, I had a botched knee surgery and after my grandmother, whatever, is when I started smoking every day. So it was more like towards the end of my career, I would say like maybe 2012 is when I probably started to, you know, smoke a little bit more consistently. And now obviously it's part of my daily regimen. It keeps you calm. It's, 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 it's the epitome of going across the street for that $20 copay. Does it ease your mind? Like, do you wake and bake? What, what is your, your day-to-day consistent? Yeah, man. So it's funny for me, man. I just feel like cannabis, whatever I'm going through, I use cannabis, right? <laughs> I'm stressed. Right. If I'm happy, I smoke. If, uh, you know, I had, I had heart surgery, you know, 18 months ago, right? And when I got out, you know, uh, it was in and out, like I, I could leave that day. And as soon as I got in the car, my, me and my dad lit up instead of me taking pain medicine. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, cannabis is just part of my everyday regimen. You know, I have, you know, two of my kids have like ADD or whatever. And, you know, I make special blends of, you know, CBD products for them. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just totally against pharmaceutical drugs at this point in my life. You know what I'm saying? So obviously I'm I'm heavy on it on the medicinal side. I still have all kind of aches and pains. I had 14 surgeries in my career. You know what I'm hey. saying? I deal with it for aches and pains. I deal for when I'm stressed. So I just feel like cannabis is the thing that I use just to, for my overall wellness, whether it's mental or physical. L, are you in your office? It looked like you sitting Indian style in summer camp. No, no, no. <laughs> My man cave at the house. And, okay. Uh, stretch it as I'm talking to you. <laughs> got you. Got you. No, no. I, I listen. I, I in these day and in time, yo, people are doing some of everything. I got the there's cleaning people upstairs, vacuuming while I'm downstairs. Like you get to see people's kids in the video. It, it, it's crazy. Right, right. Them, them zooms is hilarious. I don't know if you saw on Instagram the other day, but it was this lady kid was on there, and the lady was screaming at the little boy, like, going to pay attention. And then, like, his mom walks into the video butt naked. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> like 20 times, bro. I could not stop laughing. This is the world we live in right now. Would you say? Privacy. That- no privacy no more, bro. None. No. Zero. Zip no. zero, stingy with the Nero. Tell me something. Um, we're going to get back to Viola in a minute, but I got some NBA questions. Yeah, let's shoot. All right. So, Bernie told me that when the Warriors played the Mavericks and during the We Believe era and you guys beat the Mavericks in the first round, yep. at the Oracle Arena, Jerk Nowitzki threw a chair in the locker room and there was a hole in the ceiling until this day. Uh, I think that's true. I've heard that. You ain't called the visitors locker room. Yeah, but the visitors locker room, Oracle, uh, all the locker rooms was crashed anyway, right? So it was an older arena, so they had like the popcorn ceiling kind of things there. You know what I'm saying? So you throw it, you can throw a pencil up and it'll stick. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I believe, I believe that. I know he was definitely upset. I mean, he won the MVP that year. You know what I'm saying? They they thought they was gonna win the championship, best record in the entire NBA, and to you know lose to the lowly, you know. Uh, outcast warriors was definitely something to be very pissed off about. I'm sure. You know, you talk about the or the, the locker room in Oracle being trash. I can think of a locker room that was more trash than that. Where? So I remember you when you came into the league in in '97, correct? '98. '98. So that was my '97-'98 um, NBA season was my first year um, doing radio with the Nets when they were in New Jersey. I think you know where I'm going with this. So when you were 18, I saw you in the locker room with Travis Best, uh, Reggie Miller, uh, Jalen Rose. 
Do you remember the Continental Airlines Arena locker room and that squeaky ass door? That might have been you right. That that might be, that might be the worst. <laughs> Got to think. Uh, not only because not only was it trash, it was small. Yeah. But I'm gonna tell you, like when I when I first came in the league, when I um the Pacers, like our home locker room was like bad. Like my, it, it reminded me of my high school locker room. I'm like, y'all got. I walked in the, in there the first time. I'm in the NBA, baby. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm not let, did I not just level up? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the yeah. Pacers had a bad home locker room. Like it was bad. It was like underneath. There, so it was like all different kind of angles. So like a guy like Rick Smith's at seven four is like ducking all around trying to get around the locker room. Mm-hmm. Had a pretty bad home locker room. Too. Your rookie year, you played with Jonathan Bender, Jalen Rose, Dale Davis, and Antonio Davis. Right. And Dale was your OG. Yep. And Mark Jackson. Yep. You guys played against the Bulls. What was that experience against Michael like? So I so I missed Michael. Okay. Yeah, after Michael. Okay. Next time I played Michael was when he was with. Was that weird for you? I mean, so obviously the first, so obviously I, I had maybe seen him maybe two times, you know, when tied like off the court. And of course you went all oh, like that's you know what I'm saying like he's a guy like he a guy basketball guy you know what I mean. B-radio. But the play against him was really like I was like you know you look I'm like I looked at him up and down a hundred times just checking out the way his shoes was laced the way his socks was where his knee brace was positioned like like in all bro like that's joy like I'm really about to play against Michael Joy. And uh, my first game against him, uh, I actually played pretty well. He, actually, I got some shoes right here in my office that, I'm assuming, in my man cave that he signed for me after the game because he had 41 that game as a 40-year-old, and I had, like, 37 or whatever. And uh, after the game, he sent me his shoes and was like, best, best wishes, keep working hard. <laughs> they so, me. so were those the Jordans that came in the briefcase? Yeah, with the, with the, with the little flap on the front? Yeah. Yeah, those, yep, yep. Does Michael talk smack when he plays, or is he quiet? Does he talks a lot of trash, and it's like it's quiet. And, you know, you can't talk back, right? Just because you know it's always been like you know, legend. Like if you you wake him up, mm-hmm. bad. You know what I'm saying? So you know, depending on who you are, like a Gary Payton and all them would talk trash back. You know what I'm saying? But like a guy like Al Harrington at that time, I ain't saying nothing. He got it. <laughs> so Rashad McLeod told me some years ago um, that. When Michael was playing against Jerry Stackhouse in the late 90s, that Michael literally sang Anita Baker's giving you the best that I got while he torched him for 40 plus points against Jerry Stackhouse. What is something that you that Michael said to you that got you going? And and you talked about the 37 point game. What was what was the conversation like? No, he he had to say nothing to me, man. Like I had that nervous energy. I'm playing. You know what I'm saying? So, like, he had to say nothing. I was just trying to, you know, I, the biggest thing is I, off top, you trying not to get embarrassed, right? Mm-hmm. In the course of that, you actually get it going offensively. You know what I'm saying? So now you're like, okay, you know what I'm saying? And you didn't, you know, cooking and he cooking and blah, 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 blah. But um, he didn't, he didn't, he never talked trash to me, you know, maybe off the court a little bit, you know what I'm saying? About, you know, sure. like hanging out. But uh, I, I never. A birdie told me that when you went to St. Pat's, 
you, Samuel Dallenberg, were teammates. Yep. And that while you were there, Samuel Dallenberg, who speak, who his English was a little spotty, right. you taught him how to speak English by playing notorious B.I.G. music, fact or fiction? Uh, fact. So most 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 foreigners, even like in the NBA, I realize that that's a good way to actually teach them English through music. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So um, I'm just gonna take it a step further past. But yes, yeah, we gave we gave him a bunch of songs. Okay. Yeah, I had a teammate called named Primos Brezik. Okay. I remember him. Yeah. Primos was on our team, and me and Jamal Tinsley was like tasked to like, right? So of course we get anything. We give them CDs. Like, hey, you listen to this, <laughs> this right? So, so we had Fan Day at, at, in uh, in Casico Fieldhouse and fan appreciation. So it's mostly kids, right? Kids and their parents because it's free. So it's a right. Story. And then after the scrimmage, we always make the rookies is like a, a talent show. So they got to do something, sing a song, do a trick, whatever. So he wanted to sing a song. So he takes the mic, and guess what he sings? What? I know I can sing. I can curse later, right? Yeah. These kids. What these bitches want from a nigga? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody let me know. For those who are not familiar, that was Cisco and DMX. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Jamal Tinsley sprinted to him to grab the mic. <laughs> he had no clue. Oh my God. Man, with the funniest, that's one of my funniest rookie moments ever. <laughs> I cannot believe that's what he's saying, man. But yeah, so uh yes, you I always feel like you can teach people English through uh through music for sure. St. Pat's is now the Patrick School in Hillside, New Jersey. Um, Kyrie Irving and yourself quiet as it's kept help bring the school back why was that so important to you I mean it's just uh, you know, that's where we come from we always have to forward and you know, try to let you know, come out of the so how can you let that guy you know? so, obviously Kyrie was more, more uh, active I was stuff like that. So definitely hats off to his state. You know, I'm gonna give credit where credit is due. You know what I'm saying? So um So I, I read your lips. However, your 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 sound is a little spotty. Okay. Um I feel like this is the technological version of adjusting your antenna with the foil on it. Right. Can you hear me better now? I can hear you. You were saying that Kyrie deserves a lot more credit because he's more active. Yes. I say Kyrie is the one that saved the Patrick school. You know what I'm saying? I say I'm going to give credit where credit is due. You know what I'm saying? I make my small contributions to help, but he's the one. You know what I'm saying? So hats off to Kyrie. And to your point, you asked me why was it important, and it's important mm-hmm. because of the tradition that the school has. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how many high schools can say they have, you know, uh, you know, 20 plus professional players, you know what I'm saying, through all, across all leagues, but then you got, you know, four or five, six, you know, that went into the NBA. So I just think that we have a lot of, you know, a lot of tradition and heritage at that school that it should be around. You know what I'm saying? I think it's gaining a lot of support, especially because of Kyrie, you know, being so active. You and I bumped into each other at the Kyrie Invitational. 
Um, and I was glad that at the Barclays Center, I was glad to see um, it do as well as it did. It was literally a New Jersey event in Brooklyn. Um, and I feel like Kyrie, you know, year one, filling it out. Year two, are you excited to see him in Brooklyn? Yes, sir. A healthy Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And I think that, uh, I mean, obviously free agency and all this thing is weird just because of the time of the year or whatever. You know, normally teams are set by now. Mm-hmm. But they need one more piece. I think if they get one more piece, even though I think the Levert kid can fill some holes there and Dinwiddie and, you know, they got a nice little cast of characters. But if they could get one more star, I think that, you know, the East and West, or excuse me, the championship next year will be way more uh, entertaining than the one we got in front of us right now. Did, did he say what I think he said? Did you say championship? I said they got a chance. What piece is missing? Bradley Bill. We starting that again? <laughs> you, you really think that's what's missing? Bradley Bill. They can find a way to get Bradley Bill. They out of there. That's the so you don't so okay. Bradley Bill, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving would be a, essentially a, a a real big three. That'd be a real big three. Do you not see Karis Levert as a big three with KD and Kyrie? That's what I said. He's nice, and maybe he can get it done. Okay. I for sure wanted to get it, like just make sure it happened. I'm packaging up Chris Levert. I mean, whoever else they want to get Bradley Bill, you know what I'm saying. I think Brad is a good uh, will be a big piece for them. Um, only only thing outside of that is if they maybe could get a big, a mm-hmm. really big, you know what I'm saying. That because you know obviously having Kyrie, Brad, and 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 uh, KD, those are all perimeter guys. But the game is played from the perimeter in now, not inside out anyway. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But if you know, but I like the kid with the afro, J- Jared Allen. Yeah, they could get like one of the Lopez brothers mm-hmm. maybe. You know what I'm saying? Like, but they right there though. You know what I'm saying? Even with just with what they got right now, they right there. Did you grow up wanting to play for the Nets? No. What were your earliest recollections of the Nets? I mean, I just think of like Petrovich. Um, not Petrovich. Did I say his name right? Yeah, Jason Petrovich. I think of Petrovich. Um, I think of Kenny Anderson. I think of Sherman Douglas, mm. uh, obviously Jason Williams, you know, right at the end. And then obviously I came to lead right after that. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't not, not a lot to think about or like support really at the time. You know what I'm saying? My mom was a Nick fan. So it was always Nick games on in the house. So I was always Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, Charles Smith, you know what I'm saying? All those guys. And you were smiling at the press conference uh, when you found your way to the New York Knicks. You look like you got married. Like, that's the smile you had. Like, the fact that you were local, you were home. How cool was that when you got to play for the Knicks? That was amazing, man. I mean, you know, the Garden is always an arena that is just something special about playing in the Garden, you know? And, like, for me, like, when I really think about, like, of any place that I played, um, that was the only place that before every game I had uh, butterflies in my stomach. Um, One of my biggest fears in New York was always I never wanted to get booed. Like I was just, I always just felt like that would really crush me. Like, cause you know, they will boo you in a heartbeat there. You know, I remember guys like Jared Jeffries, like he started for us. And when they named, called his name in the starting lineup, they were boo. Like that's, that's just crazy to like, 
Like, how do you even mentally get ready to play in a game when your home fans are booing you? You know what I'm saying? So I always say, like, that nervous energy is what resulted in me, like, you know, not ever really having a bad game in the garden. Like, I never had a bad game in the garden. You know what I'm saying? And I think it was always because of, like, that nervousness of not wanting to get booed <laughs> in my home arena. I tell you what, brother, <clears throat> when I was in college in 2006, I was taking everybody's money that summer in 2K. Because I had you and like three point guards starting at one, two, three, had you at the four, and I, I forgot who I had at the five, but I was taking, I was getting money. I was taking people's lunch money. Right, right. <laughs> when you look at what is in today's NBA basketball, I look at two people, you and you know Tim Thomas is my OG. Yep. I look at you and Tim Thomas, and I feel as though y'all would flourish in today's NBA. Do you ever look at it today and say, damn, I wish I could play now because this fits me better than even the time in which I play? Oh, of course, man. Like, guys like Tim, like Tim, so Tim, my neighbor, too, right here in LA, right here in Calabasas, but um, I'm out of my game after him. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he was my, he was my, the guy I looked up to in New Jersey. Um, so he goes into the league. I come into the league maybe a year or two after him, maybe a year after him. Dirk enters the league at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Emerson enters the league at the same time. Paul Pierce entered the game the league at the same time. So we all was like those six eight to six eleven tweeners, as they call us at the time. So we didn't really have a position. It was almost a negative thing at that time. Mm-hmm. But we made it work when we transitioned the game because now we got these guys that are six, you know, like I said, six nine to six eleven shooting threes and taking guys off the perimeter. So yes, to answer your question, like I mean, not only was our game more suited, you think about just the contracts, man. Like, I mean, we we all all every guy I just mentioned probably left two, three hundred million dollars on the table in today in today's game. You know what I'm saying? The amount of money that they pay for players with our skill sets. You play for Mike D'Antoni in New York. At the same time, you play for the Pacers. Right. Do you think he's a fit in Indiana? Does he got the job? Huh? He got the job? No, but he's a candidate. Oh. He's a coaching candidate. Um, you know what? Um, big shout out to Chauncey Billups. I know Chauncey's interviewing for that job, so no, I'm gonna say Chauncey's a better fit. Okay. Big brother, but um, I could see I could see it working for him out there because the kid Malcolm uh, Brogdon or whatever his mm-hmm. name is the prototypical point guard that he likes you know what I'm saying so with him and they got the big kid Turner that can shoot you know they just got to surround him around shooting and just open up the court but you know he's the type of guy like he's going to always come in and make your offense look amazing but what he lacks is just he can't get no defense and they can't win no real big games you know what I'm saying obviously he got he got pretty close with with Phoenix at that you know back in the day and obviously you know that brawl in San Antonio probably cost him a potential championship but um, other than that, man, I've just never seen it work in really winning the whole thing. So, but if you just want entertaining, you want to put people in the stands to see open basketball and shooting threes and all that, he could he could fit anywhere. Would you like to see Mark Jackson as a coaching candidate in Indiana? Yes, like I, I, I like obviously he's been blackballed. There's just no way around it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure who it was, but somewhere in that you know, in that organization. And I think Jerry West was there and I'm sure he has a lot of clout, you know, within out, you know, within sports period. And, you know, I'm not saying it's him, but somebody blackballed him because it just doesn't make sense because he actually was a good coach. You know, there's coaches that 
have gotten situations and, you know, coached for three years, three seasons and won, you know, 35 games, 40 games, and they still resurface either as an assistant coach, as a, another head coach. But, like, for him not to ever get any coaching jobs and all that, he's been blackballed. It seems like some, some executive, we don't know who, needs some Viola to calm down. Something, man. But just something, like, at the end of the day, man, like, Mark's an unbelievable basketball mind. And, you know, he he sacrificed a lot playing in the NBA, helping grow the league. You know, he was a great guy in the league, never got in any trouble. Like, you know, and that's what we're talking about. Like, you know, we talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter, this whole thing. You know what I'm saying? It's just like it makes no sense. Like we like how do you not take care of your own as a league? You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I'm hoping one day uh, somebody give him a shot. Because like even with the Knicks, like how like how can Mark Jackson not get an interview for the New York Knicks? Like how do how do you just give that to Tom Thibodeau? Like I get it, but he's another Tom Thibodeau's another one. And I don't mind talking trash about coaching because I'm gonna own the team. I'm not coaching nobody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, like what the what the fuck has he done to deserve a coaching job like that? Like what has he done? What has he done? Nothing. Well, I'll tell you, I I I hear you. I take that and I raise you. I knew that Wes. Tibbs and Leon Rose were a package deal, and that was being discussed in January. I have heard that Dolan was more sold on Jason Kidd, but that that Wes and Jason Kidd's agent did not get along, and that, so that wasn't going to fly, but that Dolan wanted a name and that Dolan wanted Kidd, but LeBron ain't want him to leave L.A. Right. Well, I'll take, well, I'll take it even a step further, like Jason Kidd, another one. J.K., my homie, too. Big time, you know, whatever. Obviously, all-star, Hall of Fame of the whole thing. But his coaching record ain't crazy like that. He just, like, why Jason Kidd? Why, why does Jason Kidd get denied over even considering Mark Jackson? Right. I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not trying to pit them against each other because they both black. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it's just like, it don't make sense on, like, how can he not get a shot? Like, why is he not in any conversations ever? Like it just don't make it don't make sense to me. Nah, it, it's definitely something that is the biggest conundrum. I talked to Justin Gundy about it, and he he said the same thing you said. I wrote about it. You guys can check it out at Heavy.com. He basically said in, in an era where everybody's talking about um, you know Black Lives Matter and equality and just a myriad of other things, that why isn't Mark Jackson's name in the conversation? He shouldn't be an assistant coach. He needs to be a head coach. Yep. The Knicks, you talked about Thibodeau. Um, what are the Knicks missing? Everything. <laughs> Where do we start? Where can they get it right? Star. We don't have no star. Um, you know, I uh, I get a lot of love from the Knicks, the organization. So, you know what I'm saying? It's not like I'm just talking as a fan. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I just, it just seems like we just can't get out our own way. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's just things, we just have no luck. It's just weird, man. And like, I'm a diehard, you know, not as hard as Spike Lee. You know what I'm saying? I won't I, I won't say I'm, you know, he's the OG of that. And they kicked him out the arena, which is mm -hmm. great. But it's just, we can't get out our own way, man. I don't I don't know, but I'm a, I'm a die, I'm a die with my Knicks. So I don't know. We need everything. We need a star. I guess we got a coach. You know what I'm saying? Thibodeau's a good coach, but um, I think that Wes and I think that Leon and you know, all those guys, I think that they hopefully can bring some pizzazz back to the garden. But I personally think, you know, if it was me, I would have hired young, man. Like, I would have hired young. 
I would have went like, I'd have brought in somebody like Chauncey Billis as my general manager. Um, I, you know, I would have hired Mark Jackson as a coach. Like I'd have, I'd have spoke to the culture, like the culture of the Knicks. Like they got to make the Knicks like, cause, cause to me when I'm with, as a free agent, I'm just like, how can you not consider New York? Like it's New York city. It's so much opportunity. It's something that they're not selling. You know what I'm saying? I think that, when you think about the people that have been there in the past mm-hmm. that have been in charge of selling off, selling the Knicks and selling the opportunity, they just out of touch. They don't even know. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, with the Knicks, like the general manager should be driving around in a culinary. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like it's just a vibe. You know, it's New York, bro. It's like, this is the greatest place on earth. You know what I'm saying? So you got to bring that energy. Like, when the, when the players walk out, I want to see my GM jumping in the back of a culinary and going home that night. Like nigga, we the Knicks, bro. Like we, you know what I'm saying? This, this is this is Broadway. Like this, everything starts here. You know yeah. what, I'm what I'm saying? And I just think that that's the vibe that they just missing the lifestyle, and they gotta like every free agent should want to play for the Knicks. Like niggas should be knocking down the door trying to figure out how to put on a Knicks uniform, and they just missing it, man. But I, I think that you know, I think that West with his relationships, hopefully, and like you said with Leon and with the guys that they got, and I think what's the other guy that they hired? Uh, for like lifestyle, Steve Stout. Stout, you know what I'm saying. So hopefully, Steve and them can like revive that thing for us and get us back on the right track. Cause uh, like I said, that's that's New York, and New York's supposed to always be good, man. Like always. The Denver Nuggets, your former team, sh- showed up, showed up, and showed out. Uh, they didn't win it in the conference finals, but uh, Jamal Murray and, and company did their thing. What do you make of their appearance in the playoffs? They got a big three. Hmm. They got a big three, Murray, Jokic, and uh, and that kid Porter, like Porter. Porter, Porter's, Porter's their edge. He's their toughness. You know what I'm saying? He the one that's willing to say anything. You know what I'm saying? Like you need a guy like that on your team because it gives you like substance. You know what I'm saying? And the fact that he called them out about passing the ball and all that, like you need guys like that. And he got game. And he came out after that next game and had 35 at the scene. You know what I'm saying? So. I think he is a big three candidate. So I think they tough. You know what I'm saying? They were missing like Will Barton. I think Will Barton would have helped them. Obviously, with scoring and stuff like that. So I think with that team healthy, I think they're they going to be all right. They just got to, you know, the Nuggets just have to be patient, keep them together, and see what happens. But I think they got a big three. LeBron and the Lakers did their thing this year. Did they close it out tonight? Uh... I think it's over because, you know, JR is my brother, Smith, obviously, as you know, and they ready to get out that bubble, you know? <laughs> they trying to go home tomorrow, you feel me? So uh, I think that they're going to come out there with a sense of urgency. And uh, we'll see, man. I don't think Miami can be blown out, you know what I'm saying, just because they got too much dog in them or whatever, but they definitely overmatched. So it just it's, it depends on Jimmy because Jimmy's going to have to score 40 again and win the game by itself. And you see, like, that's really not who he is as a player. He's more of a team guy. So I think it's over for him tonight. Last question. Who reminds you of Al Harrington? Who reminds me of Al Harrington? Uh, one player that sticks out to me is plays for the Knicks, Bobby Portis. Okay. Bobby Portis reminds me a lot of myself. Um, who else? Who else? Damn, I, I had this conversation like a year ago. I'm not just from drawing a blank, but Bobby Portis for sure. Damn. I can't think right now. You got me on the spot, bro. Hey, man, that's 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 what you're supposed to do. I'm doing got, my job. Bro, you got to send the questions beforehand so I know it. I can, you know what I'm saying? 
See, what had happened was, <laughs> Al, you are a breath of fresh air. Um, your product, to me, um, stands out. I like to see entrepreneurs like yourself, um, as well as even Jim Jones, what he's doing with, with yes, you, you, you both are, are, are making um, headway. And by the way, one person who I think um, of when you talk about who plays like you, I think Trez is a different version of you, but he's not, he's not, he doesn't have the fluidity as a small forward and a power forward go, uh, tandem. That's the difference. Yeah, my Trez, he, uh, and he more of a motor guy. You know who he reminds me of? Who? Remember uh, Kenny Faree? I don't know if you the break. Yeah, yeah. Newark guy. They high energy, they undersized, they mm -hmm. uh, bigger than their body is, but, uh, but they don't really have a lot of skill skill. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like that's just, and they can't shoot. Like they right. can't, can't shoot it. But I like, I like Trez. Big fan of Trez. You know what I'm saying? Proud of him winning that Six Man of the Year award. That's 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 huge for for somebody like him, man. And I'm I'm really happy for him, bro. You stretching and you doing your thing, brother. Thank you. Answer your phone. <laughs> Call me. I will. <laughs> I will. All right, bro. I'll talk to you soon. Third piece. And this is Scoopy Radio saying, you bring the coffee and I'll bring the Duncan. Kaboom! Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.